Our image for this series has been Henry Oswa Tanner's Daniel in the Lion's Den, an illustration that shows us people trying to take control and who's actually in control, God. After World War I, Tanner's life as an artist hit a new peak. He was internationally renowned. He earned good money, and his work was in demand. But also, one year after the war, his father died. And within three years, his wife of 25 years got sick and died. I think we sometimes imagine that knowing the future would be great. The Lord would reveal to us the lottery jackpot numbers and who wins the World Series. Then we'd be set for life. But we don't know everything that the future holds. Some of it may be good, other parts tragic, and the unknown is often scary. The future has defeat as well as victory. The future has sickness as well as health. The future has war as well as peace. The future has suffering as well as blessing. And the future has death as well as life. In chapter 7 of Daniel, Daniel records his first vision of the future, and he's terrified. But as followers of God, we do not fear the future. Let's read Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and here is the summary of his account. Daniel said, In my vision at night I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground and set on its feet like a man and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. After this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads, and it was given dominion. After this, while I was watching in the night vision, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful, and incredibly strong, with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it, and it had ten horns. While I was considering the horn, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly, in this horn, there were eyes like the eyes of a human, and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head was like white as wool. His throne was flaming fire, and its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon ten thousand—excuse me, thousands upon thousands—served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. I watched then, because the sound of the arrogant words of the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory 
and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was deeply distressed within me, and the visions in my mind terrified me. I don't know what you expect when you hear a sermon on Daniel's visions, but just so we have the same expectations, I'm not going to tell you what I believe or what some Bible commentary believes these beasts are. We're going to experience this vision as near as we can, like Daniel, who didn't know what he was seeing, and it terrified him. He was terrified, but Daniel kept watching. What Daniel is experiencing is like a horror movie. One where you don't want to look, but you have to see what happens next. When I was a kid, I watched old and new Vampire, Frankenstein, Invisible Man, and Werewolf movies. Me and my cousins would stay up late until midnight to watch The Twilight Zone and The Night Gallery. I thought that stuff was cool. When I was 10 years old, I saw an American werewolf in London. That movie is not for 10-year-olds. The special effects in that movie were cutting edge at the time, and I think they still might hold up today. The transformation scene is over two minutes long. That is the first movie that I recall that I still felt scared after it was over, and yet I watched every minute of that movie. Daniel was left terrified by the end of his vision, but eight times in these first 15 verses, Daniel says he watched or he kept watching. What did he see? Well, Daniel saw a storm on the sea. We don't know what sea, but Daniel's in the Middle East, and there are several large bodies of water there. The Mediterranean, the Black Sea, the Caspian, the Red Sea, or the Persian Gulf could all have had ocean-level storms. From the depths of these storms, four monsters arise. Now, maybe it starts to sound to you like a Godzilla movie, but these aren't creatures that are a man in a rubber latex uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex costume. The first monster is like a griffin, part lion, part human, part bird. He sees that creature's wings get ripped off. Daniel keeps watching. The second monster is like a flesh-eating bear, still munching on the ribs of its most recent victim in its teeth, and it's going to gorge itself on all flesh. Daniel keeps watching. The third monster is like a four-headed winged leopard. It's the king of beasts, until the fourth monster arises a monster that Daniel has nothing to compare it to. It's simply frightening, dreadful, strong, and has big teeth and horns on its head that are growing and mutating, one of them humanoid. And somehow Daniel keeps watching. Daniel next gets a picture of heaven, but this doesn't look like the place of golden streets, rainbows, and the river of life. The throne room of God is on fire. The throne is on fire. The river is on fire. This picture is also described in the book of Revelation in chapter 15, and it's the time of the wrath of God to be poured out in judgment. The host of heaven is all there, books are open, and the fourth monster is destroyed in the fire of heaven. Daniel keeps watching. Then one like a son of man approaches the Ancient of Days on the throne, and the Son of Man is given rule over heaven and earth, all people, all creatures for all time. So the movie ends pretty good, but Daniel's still deeply distressed and terrified. He watched it all the way through. Now, there are some things that we cannot turn away from, even though they might be frightening. 
Sometimes it's the present that is frightening and sometimes it's the future. But there are some things that we simply have to see and can't ignore. Don't ignore Bible prophecy. I also think we shouldn't obsess over Bible prophecy. But we can't just act like it's not there. Some of the things that the Bible says about the future seem scary. But in the prophecy, there is also hope. Jesus coming back to rule and reign is our hope. Also, don't ignore the signs of the times. The religious leaders during Jesus' time were already ignoring the signs that he was the Messiah, and he told them that the final sign they would get was the sign of Jonah. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 1-4, and Matthew 24, 15-31, that they needed to discern the signs of the times, and the times they were in right now, to look for the future signs of his coming. Jesus also tells his disciples in Luke 17 that when the Son of Man is revealed, it will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Paul tells the Thessalonians that we are not to live in darkness so that the day of the Lord sneaks up on us like a thief. But as I said, don't obsess over it. Let's not be so focused on the coming of Christ that we ignore what Christ wants us to do and see that's right in front of us now. Jesus doesn't say that he'll judge me on whether or not I rightly anticipated his return, but on if I loved God, loved people, if I made disciples, if I fed the hungry, gave drinks to the thirsty, gave shelter to to the homeless, clothed the poor, took care of the sick, and took care of the imprisoned. This is one reason why our church partners with First Care Pregnancy Center and Tubman. We have to make the effort to see people. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to look on the sick, the poor, the homeless, and convicts. But keep watching. If I don't see them, I will never be moved to do anything for them. Just as when I'm not looking for Jesus, I won't expect him. Jesus, or excuse me, Daniel has just seen all these monsters and kept watching. Let's see what he does next. Daniel 7, starting in verse 16. I approached one of those who was standing by and asked him to clarify all this. So he let me know the interpretation of these things. These huge beasts, four in number, are four kings who will rise from the earth. But the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to be clear about the fourth beast, the one different from all the others, extremely terrifying, with iron teeth and bronze claws devouring, crushing, and trampling with its feet whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke arrogantly and that looked bigger than the others. See, Daniel kept learning. Daniel has had the vision, but he doesn't understand it. This is Daniel, the person who interprets dreams and visions for kings. But now that he has a terrifying vision, he doesn't know what it means. He doesn't just say, well, that was scary and confusing, and go back to doing whatever he was doing before. He sees other people, I guess, in his vision, and he approaches one of them. He doesn't wait for them to come to him. He goes to someone he believes can help him understand. And he asks this person for clarification. And then he listens to the interpretation. That's important. Sometimes we ask people for help, but we don't want to listen to the help they offer. Daniel is told that the four beasts are kings or kingdoms that will arise on earth. 
But in the end, the Most High God and his Holy Ones will rule the kingdom of God on earth forever. So now Daniel has the interpretation, but he's not done learning. He wasn't given all the details all at once. He asked for clarification about the fourth beast, which was more scary and unusual than all the others. The one that was specifically judged by God in fire. He also wants to know about the ten horns and that one horn that was an arrogant person that uprooted other horns. He doesn't just want the broad interpretation. Daniel also wants some specifics that seem important. We also don't get all the details all at once when we look at scripture. Archaeology is constantly giving us better understanding of the Bible. And I found out just last week that any commentaries that I own that discuss Genesis chapter 6 and 7 are probably out of date because there is a flood story called the Akkadian, I'm going to mispronounce this, Artharchus epic, which is even older than the epic of Gilgamesh, and it's really only been studied in the last four years. Now, it doesn't change the truth of Genesis, but it can help me better understand, understand the truth of Genesis. 20 or 40 years ago, this was a detail that we just didn't have yet. I've got to keep learning. And culture is always changing. History is always moving forward. Our life stages are progressing. Science and information are always being discovered. In all these contexts, the message of Scripture is inexhaustible. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 11, 33-34. Oh, the depths and the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsel? And in 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly teaches the word of truth. See, prophecy is only 100% clear when we look back on it. We ask ourselves, why didn't everyone understand that Jesus was the promised Messiah? There was so much prophecy and that he would die and be raised to life again. It was only obvious after the fact. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because they had known it. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That means that Satan and the demons read the Bible, and if they had actually understood it, the forces of darkness would have done everything they could to keep Jesus from dying instead of doing everything they could to kill God in the flesh. So also with the second coming of Christ. We can learn to better understand the signs, but even though we may not completely understand, we may not completely understand it all until after. In the meantime, we keep learning so that we're not caught unprepared. As we continue, re- as and that's just like when we read the story of the ten versions uh, at the beginning. Even though Daniel was afraid, he kept watching and he kept learning. Now let's finish the chapter with verse 21. As I was watching, this horn waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them until the Ancient of Days arrived and a judgment was given in favor of the holy ones of the Most High. For the time had come and the holy ones took possession of the kingdom. This is what he said. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down and crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who will arise from this kingdom. Another king, different from the previous ones, will arise after them and subdue three kings. 
He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the Holy Ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the Holy Ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene, and his dominion will be taken away to, to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the Holy Ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly, and my face turned pale. But I kept the matter to myself. That's interesting. Daniel kept quiet. Daniel wanted to learn more about the fourth beast and the horn, so here it is. The horn wages war against God's holy people and was winning. If God had not brought judgment against the fourth beast, it would have taken over and ruined the whole earth. The strange human-like last horn is a king or ruler that speaks against the Most High God, oppresses God's people, and changes God's commands. For a period of time, which seems to be three and a half years, this ruler against God will prevail. But after that time, the judgment of God comes and the kingdom of God is established forever. Daniel has watched the vision and learned about the vision. And even though he's still frightened to the point of his face turning pale with fright, he now has all the information and he keeps the matter to himself. Daniel says in the beginning of this chapter that he received this vision during the reign of King Belshazzar of Babylon. But we seem to already be into the reign of King Cyrus of the Medes and Persians before he actually writes it down or shares it. I have to wonder why. I don't think he keeps quiet because of his fear. He's pushed forward despite his fear all along. And he has the assurance that God wins in the end. Honestly, we have to speculate as to why he kept silent. But we do know that Daniel is wise, in fact the wisest man in the kingdom, and a man on whom rests the Spirit of God. Based on that, I think I have some reasonable guesses. First, perhaps it wasn't time for it to be revealed. And second, which kind of goes along with the first, perhaps Daniel didn't fully understand it all yet himself. Regardless of the reason, Daniel was discerning enough to know when to speak and when to keep quiet. Like most denominations, the Wesleyan Church has a doctrine of last things, the Daniel and Revelation stuff. I really like our statement because it's so simple. It basically says, Jesus will return, raise the dead, judge creation, and reign forever. The reason I like this statement so much is because despite all the books and movies about the end times, the only things that we know for sure are Jesus will return, raise the dead, judge creation, and reign forever. It's not that we can't talk about or teach what we believe might be the details. That's part of learning. But I don't preach the day I guess Jesus might come back with the same authority that I preach the signs of his coming. I don't interpret the signs of his coming with the same level of authority that I proclaim the assurance of his coming. See, my objective is never to scare people with monsters or people trying to take over the world or persecution or fiery judgment from God. That means it's okay for me to say, I don't know the future for certain, but I do know Jesus. I don't want people to fear the future. I want people to trust in Jesus Christ.
all during this series, I've been showing you Tanner's Daniel in the Lion's Den. Now I want you to take a look at another painting, Angels Appearing to the Shepherds. This was painted between 1910 and 1911, so about four years before World War I and ten years before his wife would die. This is, in my opinion, the coolest, spookiest painting by Henry Tanner. The shepherds are tiny and the angels are huge and ghostly. Yet what are they announcing? The beginning of the reign of Jesus Christ, the very thing that Daniel was looking forward to and was assured of. I don't know every detail of the future. I don't know how long the COVID pandemic will last. At the time I wrote the sermon, I couldn't say who the next president of the United States would be, even though the election was over. I didn't know I'd get cancer in my 40s. I don't know if I'll get dementia, a stroke, or a heart attack in my 50s. The future can look scary, but I don't fear the future because Jesus is coming back. Let's pray this psalm from Psalm 78. My people hear my instructions. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our fathers passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and the wondrous works he has performed. God made a covenant with Israel and commanded to teach their children so that future generations, children yet to be born, will know God and tell their, their children. Use us so that every generation puts their confidence in God, doesn't forget God's works, and keeps his commands. As you reflect on this message, think of one thing that resonated with you, one thing that challenged you, one thing you want to learn more about, and one thing you will do based on what you've heard. If, you, if you're interested in having a further conversation on this, we can start our Zoom meetings again after, uh, after the video. Just let me know. I want to leave you with this blessing. May he who is your light, your strength, and your song and cornerstone prepare you for the fiercest drought and storm. Quiet your fears and cease your strivings that you may know the heights of his love and the depths of his peace.